Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In book one of St. Augustine's Confessions, starting in chapter six, there is a discussion of infancy, and specifically Augustine's own infancy, which he doesn't know but has to infer about. And you might say, well, what is that doing in there? Well, this is a spiritual autobiography, so it makes sense that he would talk about uh, all the phases of his life up until the point where he's, he's writing the book. And infancy is part of that. We all come into the world as little babies. And the word infans means not yet speaking. Children will acquire speech as we find him narrating by chapter eight. And, you know, until then, they're just little wriggling things, right? Driven by certain instincts, but also quite malleable, as we'll find out. And Augustine points out that none of us remember our infancy. So how do we know anything about it? You know, he tells us that I was doing these things. How does he actually know? Well, he's heard from other people. So testimony is an important part of that. And then we see lots and lots of other babies. I mean, one might say, well, I don't see lots of babies. You know, I come from a small family or I don't know anybody else. Well, in ancient times, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing some babies somewhere. And so Augustine has seen a lot of them and he's engaged in some observation. And so what can we say about infants? He says that the very first things that they do are pretty basic. So they, they nurse at the breast. And he's got some interesting reflections here about the milk of the breasts and that, you know, he's being fed by this. And yet, where is the milk actually coming from? It's not coming directly from God, like doing a miracle every time, but the way that God has set up the natural world, mammals, which we are, produce milk for their young and can even, you know, get it from somebody else, some other person or some other species as we do with cow's milk, for example. And so they nurse and that's a very, very basic instinct. Lacking this, of course, they wouldn't continue in existence. And so that's very important. And then Augustine tells us that they do other things. They're satisfied with pleasant things. What do infants like? You know, being cuddled, being talked to, being bathed and being clean, being nice and warm. And then they cry at things that hurt or disturb them, loud noises, too much light. Some might be afraid of the dark, food that doesn't suit them, right? Having all sorts of things going wrong with their body, like needing to be burped. We could go on and on and on. And so that's what infants do at first. And then Augustine says a little bit later on, they start to do other things. And it's really interesting to see the first thing that he talks about, laughing. Laughing is something that is essential to human beings, but is not the essence of human beings. We are a laughing animal. Augustine will actually talk about this in other works as well. And it's something that is really core, but it's, it's not the essence of us. 
but it's quite important. Perceiving, perceiving literally where, ubi, where one is. Spatiality, right? Beginning to perceive the world. And then we get to something really central to Augustine's thinking. Making one's wants or desires or quite literally one's willings, one volition known to other people. And the Latin says voluntates meus volabam ostendere. You notice that the volo root is in there in voluntates and in volabam. I willed, I wished to show, to indicate my willing. So the will is already in infants through the function of communication, through the function of connecting with other people, rather complicated and reflexive. It is the will by which I will to make my wills or willings or the what it is that I will clear or at least apparent to other beings. So this is quite important. And he says that this has been told to me concerning myself. There's the testimony. I believe it because we see other infants acting thus, though I don't remember such acts of my own. Thus, little by little, I perceived where I was and I wished to make my wants known to those who could satisfy them, right? Those who could actually deal with it. Yet I could not do so. Why? Well, because those wants are inside of me. There's a little interior world that doesn't actually interface that well with the outside world. So what do I do? So I tossed my limbs about and uttered sounds, thus making such few signs similar to my wishes as I could. Now that's worth thinking about, you know, what is doing this, you know, sort of things that babies do. How is that similar to what I want inside of me? I mean, at least if you're, if you're like smiling and you want somebody else to smile, there's some, some similarity there, but change me, give me food, hold me, pick me up. Those aren't that similar to waving your arms about, but that's the best that the infant can do, right? So he says, those outside could by no sensible means penetrate into my soul, right? But they could figure out what I wanted. And when they would not obey me, either because they did not understand or because it would be harmful now that's putting a nice face on it. Sometimes we just ignore babies because we're worn out. We don't want to do what the baby wants us to do. But when they're not being obeyed, then he gets angry, anger and crying when not understood or satisfied. I grew angry at older ones who were not subject to me and at children for not waiting to me. And I took it out on them by crying. And anybody who's had a baby knows what this is like. Then he goes on and he tells us that children, infants, are sinful. And we could talk about original sin, which is a somewhat different topic, but he's actually saying that some of the volitions, some of the willings, that's where sin resides, are bad. And he tells us, in your sight, he's talking to God, no man is clean of sin. Not even the infant who has lived but a day on earth does not each little child now do this for in him I perceive what I do not remember about myself. How did I sin at that age? Was it because I cried out as I tried to mouth the breast? 
Indeed, if I did so now, not of course as one gaping for the breast, but for food fitting to my ears, I would be laughed at and most justly blamed. You know, if I was like eating, cry eating, as we say, like, you know, I'm eating spaghetti and I'm like, oh, I'm so sad eating my spaghetti, you know, something like that. What's wrong with this guy? Right? Infants do that. And we're like, well, that's just the way babies are. He goes on though, and he says that I did reprehensible things, but infants get a pass. Why? They don't understand that what they're doing isn't what they ought to be doing, that they, it's something they should be blamed for. All they really understand is they've got desires and they're trying to express them and they're not, they're not coming out right. And reason and custom don't blame infants for that sort of thing. You know, if we think it through or if we look at our typical behavior towards infants, we don't actually blame them for that sort of stuff. We say, oh, you know, it's just the way they are. So we don't think of these as bad. And he says, though, when we get older, we try to root out these things and throw them aside. And he says, even then were these things good to try to get by crying even what would be harmful if it were given to me to be bitterly resentful at freemen, elders, my parents, and many other prudent people who had not indulged my whims when I struck at them and tried to hurt them as far as I could because they did not obey orders that would only be obeyed to my harm. Was that a, a good thing or a bad thing? And he says, no, these are bad things. The infant doesn't know what's good for it. At least, you know to some degree, and you shouldn't indulge the infant's whims and desires. And so he goes on and he says the infant's limbs are harmless. They can't really hurt anybody with their, you know, hitting them and stuff like that. But their wills, their volitions are not harmless. He says, I have myself seen and have had experience with a jealous little one. It was not yet able to speak, but it was pale and bitter in face as it looked at another child nursing at the same breast. So there's like a basic self-centeredness to infants. And that's part of our fallen human nature, according to Augustine. Now, what happens when we develop speech? This is a chapter that is often, chapter 8, often misunderstood and not read carefully enough so that people attribute to Augustine a theory of linguistic development that he's not actually advancing. What does he say? I was no longer an infant, one who could not speak. Now I was a chattering boy. I remembered this, and afterwards I reflected on how I learned to talk, how I learned to communicate with other people. Grown-up people did not teach me by presenting me with words in any orderly form of uh, instruction. That will come later, uh, as they did my letters. But I myself, with the mind which you, my God, gave me, wished by means of various cries and sounds and movements to express what? To express my heart's feelings, the sensus cordis mea, what's, what's in my heart, what it is I want to say, and what I want, my volitions. So language is not just something where you're like, oh, doggy, oh, kitty cat, oh, food, stuff like that. It's connected with our desires, our needs, our wants, our demands, the things that we need or want to express to other people. So he says, I was unable to express all that I wished or to all whom I wished. And I pondered over this in memory. How did I actually learn that? So this is the part where a lot of people get a little bit tripped up. When they named a certain thing, and at that time made a gesture towards the object, I observed that object and inferred it was called by the name they uttered when they wished to show it to me. And a little bit later he says, little by little, 
I inferred that the words said in their various places in different sentences that I heard frequently were the signs of things. So a word is a sign of something, just like a cross on a book is a sign, a symbol, you could say, of another cross, the cross that uh, Jesus died on. Or we can say this about all sorts of other things. A tie might be the sign of a certain bourgeois respectability. Although if you loosen it up, maybe it's a sign that you're actually kind of a, a cool guy who's willing to take things easy, you know, once the workday is over. The signs can be all sorts of things. And the words that I'm speaking to you right now are also signs. Now, is Augustine claiming that every word is a sign of one thing? He is not. And notice what's doing the heavy lifting, we could say. It's not just pointing at something and saying, arf, arf, or doggy, or canis, or something like that. There's a lot of other stuff involved. And he tells us what those things are in part. He says, that they meant this the sign relation, was apparent, why? Bodily gestures, as it were by words natural to all men, which are made by change of countenance, the face, nods, movements of the eyes and other bodily members. So there's a whole, we could call it meta-communication going on at the bodily level that goes along with the words that are supposed to indicate the thing. And that's only half of what Augustine talks about. He also talks about the way in which we use our voice. So he says that sounds of the voice, not just the words, but sounds of the voice, which indicate the affections of the mind in seeking, possessing, rejecting, or avoiding things, right? So this is also necessary. The way that we talk, not just the words that we say, but the way that we talk and the way that we use our bodies for children, at least, those who are learning how to speak helps them learn the words. So we say, doggy, doggy, you know, and we point at it and we like direct our eyes. Look at that doggy over there. And eventually the kid gets away from calling it moo cow or kitty cat or something like that and says doggy. There used to be this, this toy called the see and say, and you would pull the lever and you'd have the, the arrow on a particular animal picture. And it would say things like the cow says moo. And that would make a moo sound or the rooster says cock-a-doodle-doo. You know, all these kind of funny uh, words that aren't exactly what the animal says, but you know, they're close enough, right? That's how children learn vocabulary. And like he says, thus to those among whom I was, uh, I communicated the signs of what I wished to express. I entered more deeply into the society of human life, though still dependent on my parents' authority and the will of my elders. This learning language exiting infancy is how we enter into the social world. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>